Christ is risen. Alleluia. Hear these words from the gospel lesson, Luke chapter 24. And as they were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Those words, he is not here, are the starting place for the resurrection of the body. When the women took their spices that they had prepared to the tomb, when they looked in, when they went to anoint the body as was their custom, his body was not there. When they told the apostles, Peter and John and others about this, they couldn't believe what the women had said. And so they ran to the tomb and when they looked in, he was not there. When word got around, certainly not just to the Roman soldiers who had been assigned the detail, but to the Jewish leaders, to those who were in charge of making sure that Jesus' tomb was secure when they looked into the tomb, he was not there. You see, the empty tomb is where it all starts. In fact, even the most critical of the gospel accounts, the most critical of scholars and historians who have set out to demonstrate or prove that the bodily resurrection of Christ, which they would say is a myth, a fable, a lie, a tale, they all have to start with the empty tomb. There is no shadow of a doubt that the tomb was empty on Easter morn. Now, indeed, there have been attempts to prove that just because the tomb was empty, that that does not mean that Jesus had risen. One theory is that Well, Jesus, when he went through the awful crucifixion, the beatings and everything ahead of time, and that when he was hanging there on the cross that he had actually not died. That he had gone into a non-responsive state, in a coma, if you were, unconscious. And when he was placed in the tomb, that in the cool of that tomb, he revived and came back to life. So it was not a resurrection at all. Now, in spite of the fact that the Romans were known for being brutally effective at their methods of execution, that there is not a way that someone would come off of the cross if they had not 
pronounce them dead. In spite of the fact that if Jesus was in such a state of weakness and of incapacitation, that being revived, he would then have the strength to stand up and to push away the stone and to fight off the guards and, and get away and go to ultimately his followers? Well, you may as well just say he's God then at that point. You see, Jesus died in accordance with the scriptures. He died for your sin and for mine. There is no mistake about that from the historical record. But then there are those that would say, well, perhaps there was a misunderstanding of which tomb Jesus was to be placed in. At the end of the uh, Sabbath day, as that was fast approaching, that uh, uh, Joseph and, and Nicodemus, as they uh, prepared his body very briefly to place in a tomb, that the women who had observed where that tomb was, as the Gospels say, that in the morning, in the darkness, that perhaps without their GPS giving them turn-by-turn instructions, they did not know which tomb to go to. And so they came across another tomb that was indeed empty. And from that point on, the myth of Jesus' resurrection was established and hundreds and hundreds of people were then continuing in that fallacy. In fact, even willing to give their lives because of a wrong address. There are those that would even purport that yes, the tomb was empty. But what most likely happened, they would say, is that somehow, before the tomb was sealed, that the disciples came and took Jesus' body away. That they hid it, that they take, took it someplace else and, and they buried it elsewhere or disposed of it in some way. And then from that point on, they were able to... Uh, convince people of the resurrection. In fact, Matthew's gospel tells us that that's in fact the story that the Jewish leaders told the Roman soldiers. They gave them the information that says, hey, if anybody asks, simply say the disciples came in the night and stole his body. Dr. Paul Meyer, who is one of the great thinkers and minds, archaeologists, historians in our own Missouri Synod, who's written any number of scholarly works, has also written some fiction. And in fact, uh, uh, several decades ago, he wrote a novel of the title, A Skeleton in God's Closet. And it purports that an archaeologist who had been raised Christian but had really fallen away from the faith, who in fact was even a pastor's kid, but was brilliant in archaeology and Aramaic and all of the things that went with it, that he was on sabbatical from the University of Harvard and that he was on a dig and he was in the town of Rama, which is apparently the place for Joseph of 
Arimathea to have come from. And while exploring there, although he was not a a technical archaeological digger, yet he was given the opportunity, and sure enough, what does he find? A burial chamber. And in the burial chamber, a sarcophagus, which is simply a stone box that the body of a deceased person was laid. And it was etched, carved in stone on it, and wouldn't you know, it was... Joseph of Arimathea. Now, an incredible archaeological discovery indeed. And as they went through the process of verifying that and cleaning out the whole uh, uh, burial chamber, right as he was about to leave for the last time, his, his shovel hit something. And sure enough, he discovered what would have been buried at the head of the sarcophagus a little jar, a little juglet of ceramic that was sealed with a clay plug. And with the excitement that that I'm sure only archaeologists can can get and and taking the painstaking measures to to reveal this, sure enough, inside was a, a parchment rolled up. And as they did everything possible to to make it so that they could read this parchment and hum- they uh, humif- humidified it and uh, unrolled it and then with their Aramaic, here it was a letter. And it was a letter from Joseph of Arimathea to Nicodemus. And in this letter was a confession that Joseph had written this letter to Nicodemus before he died saying that he had a confession to make. That in fact, on the night that Jesus was um, crucified, that he had heard rumors about um, that the, the Jews or the Romans were going to desecrate Jesus' body. And so he and a servant went, and before the tomb was sealed, they took the body and brought it to their place and hid it, and the next day traveled to Ramah, where they placed Jesus' body in a sarcophagus that had been built for Joseph that said Joseph of Arimathea. And so now, as they verified the veracity of this piece of parchment, this archaeologist and the small group of people who knew realized what they had. The bones of Jesus were in this stone box but not just the bones of Jesus the very foundation of the Christian faith the resurrection of the body beginning with Jesus is the foundation of the Christian faith such that without it the church falls And so they took great pains to keep this private until they could really, really, really verify it. And every step along the way, it was looking like this was in fact true and legitimate. But somehow, the word leaked out. And the world got a word of the news that the bones of Jesus had been discovered. And the world was in an uproar. There were those Christian leaders that are represented in the book as saying that 
obviously this is fake because Jesus did rise from the dead and that those who were part of this were part of the Antichrist. They were part of a huge conspiracy and fallacy and hoax. There were those on the other side of things. Those under the name of Christian who actually said, see, we've been telling you all along that Jesus did not rise bodily from the dead because that's not possible. That is against every law of nature. That it was a spiritual resurrection that the Gospels teach us about. And so their lives were unimpacted, as it were. They went on as if everything was the same, that the discovery of Jesus' bones didn't bother them one bit. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you or someone that you know and love is not in that camp. There are in fact those under the name of Christian who do not truly believe that the resurrection of the body beginning with Jesus' bodily resurrection from the tomb on Easter ever took place. The story continues that Nicodemus had sent a letter back to Joseph and that was buried in this uh, little juglet as well. And it said, I also have kept this until my death. Because like Joseph figured, as Nicodemus considered the impact that it would have of telling the world at the time that the bones of Jesus were in Rama that there would be such an outcry in their day that they figured it was best not to say anything. And if it were the will of God for that to be revealed, then God would, in fact, bring that to light. Well, as you might guess, in a very entertaining book, he brings it to the conclusion that although all of these pieces checked out from a perspective of authenticity, Yet the one who had purported the hoax was nothing less than a brilliant archaeologist himself who had been planning this for decades from his youth, from times when he had experienced from his perspective that God was not there. When his father was struck as he was checking his mail by a truck that went off the road. When his wife died with incredible guilt because of some religious vows that she had broken. And all kinds of other tragedies in his life. He had determined that since he did not see God in his life, then Christianity was a hoax. And he was going to do the world a favor by proving that Christianity was a hoax and that Jesus' body, although it wasn't in the tomb, was in someone else's. And he almost got away with it, as the story goes. But of course, we come this day because we know that no hoax, no falsehood can take the place of the truth of not only was the tomb empty that day, but as the angel continued, 
He is not here. He is risen. And then Jesus appeared to Mary, to the other women, to Peter, to all 11 in the upper room, to many over the course of the 40 days that he would be here before his ascension. Yes, some would say, well, those were just hallucinations and people who are grieved can often see and feel like they are seeing their loved one and so forth. Willing enough to die for the faith? Willing enough that in a group of 500, as Paul reports, that they saw the resurrection? That they saw Jesus himself? That he was more than just a spirit as he came into their room, yes, in ways that we cannot understand, but who said, touch me, feel me, do you have something to eat? A a spirit does not have flesh and blood like I have. You see, we may find ourselves at times in a case where we may look around for Jesus and we might, like the archaeologist in the story, say, he's not here. This all must be a hoax. I can't find him. Somebody's been lying to me. Maybe this is all wrong. And to have such doubts, to deal with struggles, is indeed part of our life this side of heaven. But just because we can't see Jesus where we think he should be, does not mean that he is not risen from the dead. You see, as we continue to place our trust and confidence in him, he does indeed give us the opportunity to see him, to experience him, to receive his blessings, to receive his guidance, to receive his very body and blood. The tomb was indeed empty. As the angel said, why would you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. Christ is risen. Alleluia. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.